0: There's a lot of a lot of young kids and teens that, um, I mean, this was 15 years ago in 9-11, who when you say to them, do you remember, will look at us and, no, I don't remember anything. And, um, you know, what does it mean to to think about what it means to be the church? Well, um, I, you know, this morning I turned on CNN when I got up and, and they were asking the question, do you think that we're better off today than we were 15 years ago or worse off? And every single every single commentator said we're worse off. And I think, well, isn't that what Revelation teaches? And yet at the same time, never forget this, that there, there are, are more conversions happening in Islam today than have happened in many, 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 many years. Because... What we're after is, is the hearts of people. And so um, I want to come together around that thought this morning. <clears throat> Jesus is not absent watching what's going on in our world today. And in verse number 12, as he's talking about this idea of I'm, I'm coming soon, he uh, reminds us that when he comes, he will bring with him, now a lot of English translations say it this way, his recompense, that's the translation in the ESV. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. To repay everyone for what he has done. Okay. And uh, we talked about this the last time. I just want to kind of reach back and grab hold of a couple of thoughts here. Um, when you talk about Jesus returning... You know, you think about, okay, this is this, this final day on earth. What is it going to look like? And he's saying, well, I'm, I'm going to repay everyone for what he has done. When we do, I've said before, when we do a burial and we stand over a body and a casket's going down, part of the old liturgy that we still use today grabs these words and says, we, we will be right judged based upon what we have done. Okay, now what messes with our minds is we think to ourselves. Now wait a minute. Uh, if I'm going to be judged based on what I am done, what I've done, I'm in big trouble. Well, that's the whole point of it. It's, it Jesus is trying to say something here. He's trying to say that one of two things is going to happen when he returns. Right. You, you will be judged not guilty and innocent if you are covered by and underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. Right. But you are judged. Right, you are judged guilty and separated from Him for eternity if you if you are not under the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, and you pick this up throughout all of the books of the the, the New Testament and Old, and yet it's not a very popular teaching in our world today. Um, a couple of cross-references that come to my mind for those who are under the blood of Jesus Christ. Just just look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4. Just kind of flip over there real quickly. He's talking about what does it mean to be underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. And I like these words because when he, when Paul is, is speaking it to Timothy, he's giving him a charge. And it's, it's a charge that we need to hear as a church today. He starts off in 2 Timothy 4 with these words, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. All right, so so when Paul is preparing Timothy, Timothy's a young man to go out into the world already at the time that the revelation is being written, he's saying this, he's saying, at his appearing when Jesus comes back, he is coming to do what? To, to judge. So what do we need to do? Well, he says to Timothy in verse 2, preach the word, all right, bring this word of God out, be ready in season and out of season, and look at these next words, I don't think they're popular in our world today or even the church today, he says reprove, rebuke and exhort, okay, okay, so if you came to church this morning, a lot of churches today in America, what do we try to be? We try to be nice and kind and, you know, to everybody, come on in, we love, we love. how about you, well, if you walked into church, hey, this morning we're going to reprove, exhort, and um, rebuke you, everybody would be like, awesome, I woke up this morning, my wife rebuked me, now I get to go to church, and I'm going to get reproved, and a little exhortation on top of it, that's, oh, it's going to be a great day, you know, none of us would think this is awesome, we'd think, what in the world, well, why, why does, why does, why does he say, to, say these words to Timothy? Well, look at verse number three and see if this isn't true. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't have anything to do with it. But having itchy ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. OK, so a discussion we had this morning in our home was, you know, our, our daughter has been trying out a couple of different churches and one of them she went to and they are very radical about saying, hey, look, uh, we are a church that um, endorses uh, homosexuality, endorses it, not, not just says it's, it's OK, but we say it's, it's a very good thing. Well, what's going on in that church? Well, it's our culture. And our culture says, let's find someone who will speak to us in a way that we agree with. And it's not sound teaching. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is, no, you go out and preach the word. And an exhortation is not going to that church and saying, uh, you people are all going to hell. It's going to that church and saying, I'm begging you, come back to the truth of God's word. What you're speaking is not his truth. And it's not his truth. And uh, fortunately, my daughter said, No, I, 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 that one's off our list. We're not going back to that church. I'm like, Good. But look at verse four people turn away from listening to the truth, they wander off. I like the way it says that, just kind of, just kind of get away from the truth. And all of a sudden, I find myself distant from it, wandered away into myths. And he says, As for you, Timothy, be sober minded, be clear about things. Um, Endure suffering. If you, you know what? If you stand up for the truth, you will endure suffering. It's coming, and not everybody's going to embrace you and say, "Hey, we, we think what you're saying is good." No, and you will endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And I like this. These last words. This is what I want to grab hold of. Paul says, "I'm being poured out like a drink offering. just being poured out. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight, finished the race." Kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Now, just notice these words which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Which is that day? It's the one we're talking about right here in Revelation 22. When I come back, I will bring with me my recompense. To those who are underneath the blood of Jesus Christ, it's the crown of righteousness. It is well done. My good and faithful service. Okay, so there's a, there's kind of a dichotomy that happens in our lives as Christians. We know that when we die, our soul, bam, immediately is with God. Okay, I in fact, it is. I've always said in my mind as a pastor, I hate even using the word "die," because it's so misrepresentative of what actually goes on. Who you are as a human being? Yes, we have physical containers, right? Um, but who I am as a human being, that's my soul, Tsuke, as the Greeks would say. And so when I look at my psuche, does it ever die? No. There's no moment of time when I breathe my last breath where my soul just stops. There's, con- there's a continuum. And so our souls are with God in, in heaven, now experiencing His presence outside of the, the boundaries of time that we know, right? Okay, so, so there's a sense in which there is, if you will, a, a judgment that takes place before the day, right? Because if, if I am not a follower of Jesus Christ, if I don't have faith, if I, if I have not trusted the work of Jesus Christ, then the minute I die, my soul is already in hell. And yet, when when the return comes, when Jesus Christ comes again, then is what we call the great judgment, the final judgment. This is the recompense Jesus is talking about where he says, I'm separating now those who will be with me and those who will be with their father who is a fallen angel in really torment for eternity, right? So that's the picture uh, that we're being given here, okay? Okay. Not a popular one in our world today. Most say, boy, I don't think you should talk about a judgmental God. God is a God of love. I'm saying, absolutely, He's a God of love. He loves us so much that He will not stop pursuing us until our last breath. But trust me, the same God of love is a just God. And when you read these words, what it it kind of puts in my mind today is this sense of urgency for the church to recognize, wait a minute, with everything we have, we need to do what Paul called Timothy to do go out, preach the word, be ready, be prepared, in season, out of sight, be sober minded, be vigilant, because that's the day that uh, we're living in. Okay, flip back over to the Revelation. Um, in verse 13, uh, Jesus now describes himself, and I think we walked through these terms the last time we meet. He says, this this is who I am. I am, why am I able to say this, that I'm coming with my recompense? Because of who I am. I am the alpha and the omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the end, okay? And I won't spend a lot of time on this because we looked at it, but, you know, all of those words, we look at and we kind of lump them together, like they're all the same thing. Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, first and last. They actually point to different qualities of who, who Jesus is. When I say I'm the Alpha and the Omega, what I'm communicating is I am the one who is outside of creation. They're, they're, I'm before anything existed. Alpha, Omega. And I am I am after it is ended and then remain. I'm I'm that. Okay, so the, the, really it's kind of pointing to the nature of God as the creator, right? I, I am the first and the last, okay? First and last what? Man. I'm, I'm the first man to go through death and then rise up again, never to die again, okay? So when you go through the Old and New Testament, are there resurrection stories other than Jesus's? yes. There are several resurrection stories, okay? We know that the apostles in the apostolic era, one of the things that God gave them was the ability to perform resurrections, okay? And, uh, and so here's the difference. Every resurrection performed by the apostles, uh, including Lazarus's performed by Jesus, ends with what? Another death. Does Lazarus die again? Yes, he does. Jesus says, I'm the first man who, guess what, rises up never to die again. You will follow in my train. When the last man comes, uh, they'll discover that I I have made, made things anew through my resurrection. So it's kind of pointing to the salutary work of Jesus Christ. And then you get the, the the last part on the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end of of what? What exists today. Okay. So what, what exists today, our world, will come to an end. And uh, when it reaches the end, again, this is what he's describing. i am come back. I, the judgment happens. And now there's a recreation of a new world. Okay. So, what is our hope? Verse 14 says, here's our hope. Makarios. Makarios are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life, that they might enter the city by the gates. Okay? couple of quick notes in that. Blessed are those who wash their robes. The term makarios is the word that you hear used uh, in Matthew 5, 6. Uh, seven where the Sermon on the Mount is being preached. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. To be blessed, Makarios means to come underneath the blessing of, of God. Okay. So we receive God's blessing on that last day if our robes are washed. Okay. Why do we use that imagery? If our robes are washed. Okay. Any of you have robes? I still remember the first time I got these robes that they make you get in seminary. And I got the good ones. I did. You know, we've got nowadays we have the we have the kind of the monkish kind of robes. They're kind of monkish, they are. They're they're albs, they call them albs, and some of them have hoods and you get those things on. But back in the day, you got a cassock and a surplus. You guys remember those things? They have like 600 buttons. They're all black, and you got to button them. And I'd be buttoning those things on Sunday morning, and you get it about here, you'd be like, dang. And start all over, right? Remember that, Terry? I used to tell the police departments, I'm going to save you guys a ton of money. You don't need breathalyzers. You don't need a breathalyzer. Just get the guy out of the car. Like, here you go. Put this robe on and button it. I was like, eh. take him to jail right now. He's going to jail, right? So when he says, he says, you know, blessed are those who wash their robes. What's he talking about? Well, this is just, this is imagery that, that kind of goes back to, to what? Um, it goes back to the way that, first of all, priests were dressed, okay? And they would cover the priest in a robe to make a statement, that when you when you're a priest, or in my case, when I did all the buttons or put the little thing on, what you're saying is you're a human being and you're you're full of fallacy. You're full of sin. And who who am I to speak any word of God? I'm a, I'm a broken sinner. That's right. You better get covered by Jesus Christ, so that when you go out there, you're not pretending to speak on your your words, you speak his words on his behalf. Um, remember who we are, a people covered by Jesus Christ. The allusion here is to a wedding, you know, that uh, uh, Jesus describes in Matthew 11. And you'll remember the scene where Jesus says, there's a great wedding feast, and, and you know, the, the people that were invited all came up with excuses, can't make it, don't want to make it. And so we went out and get the people from the highway. Go out for hungry people. Blessed are the poor, the meek. Go get hungry people. Okay. They come to the wedding feast and the the, the bride and groom come in, and then remember the, the groom says, Oh, wait a minute, we got a problem. We got a guy in here without a robe. And um, so robes would be used at at weddings. And uh, the purpose of the robe in a wedding was to remember that guess what? We are we are covered by the by the Blood of the groom, the one who is coming. And uh, the Pharisees messed that up big time. And they turned their robes and all of the instruments that went with them into their own works. We're covered by our works. No, 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 no. We're covered simply by the work of Jesus Christ. So even a wedding in Jewish tradition where guests would wear robes was meant to say something, that this is about another wedding. It's about a greater wedding that's yet to take place, namely the wedding between the groom and his, and his bride. Remember what Jesus said about the guy in the wedding. He says, this one doesn't have any robes. He says, tie him up and throw him out. And you, know, you read that story in the Bible, and people criticize it. If people get a hold of the Bible, they go, what kind of a religion is this? You know, that the guy comes in, and he says, tie him up and throw him out. That doesn't sound very loving and kind. I'm like, no, no, he, he, he is loving. He is kind. He desires to cover all people. This person has chosen, I will not wear a robe. I will come under my strength and power. And what it's representing is the great wedding. When Jesus comes, Matthew 11, when Jesus tells the parable, he's pointing to revelation. He's saying, this day is coming. When the groom comes and says, this one's without a robe, tie him up, throw him out. Separate it from me. It's the judgment. And I know, I know it's not popular in our world today. We've tried to remove the judgment. We've tried to remove the idea of sin. We've tried to remove the idea of of, of a just God. But listen, you can't have grace without justice. And the ultimate symbol of justice is the cross where God put Jesus and said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to enact my justice upon sin. I'm going to kill my son on behalf of all of these people who who literally have abandoned me and I will give my life for them. There's justice. You You can't have grace without the justice of God. And so, you know, when you get to the revelation, the picture that's being painted here is, blessed, uh, blessed are, you're going to come under the blessing of God, if your robes have been washed in what? The blood of Jesus Christ. You're covered by him. And this is why you're receiving that crown of life. And he, he goes on to say, not only that, but now you receive the, the Greek word here is exousios, the authority to the tree of life. Okay, Remember earlier, the picture being painted of eternity, we have the tree of life, which symbolizes everlasting life. So now you come under, under his authority, you are now authorized to eat of that tree and to enter the city by its gates. Don't, don't forget this. We, when you look at the gates that are described in Revelation, they're made of one thing. Remember? pearl. And we said that very distinctly, the picture, it's just a word picture, of a pearl is a picture of who? Jesus Christ, the pearl of great price. Okay. And so the only, the only way to enter into eternity is through the pearl, is through Jesus Christ, is through his blood. There's not other ways. Um, there's one way. And so this is the picture that he's giving is these have those who are covered by Jesus Christ come in, they enter through Jesus Christ, whereas outside of the gate are who? Okay, let's kind of make a note of these words. Outside are the dogs. Who are the dogs, by the way? And again, these don't really sound very like very nice words. They're, you dogs are outside are they're the, they're those who they're represented really in the new testament by the circumcisionists the dogs paul would call them kunas why because they've taken the gospel of jesus christ and twisted it just a little bit and turned it into law you must be circumcised in this way in order to be really saved by god and god says you dogs this does not belong to you. It belongs to the Master. And now you've taken it and twisted it. That's what he's talking about. Anyone who takes the Word of God and turns it and twists it and it, now it becomes law again are the dogs. Okay? Outside of the gate. Okay? This is why I, I really honestly do believe. I mean, I go out on a limb every time I make this statement. but I, I'm, I, I do believe it. I do believe that there's so many that are in churches today that place you back underneath the law who believe, they really believe, somehow I'm contributing to my salvation. And as I, as I start to believe that, I take myself out from underneath the grace of Jesus Christ. And I do believe that a lot of those people are caught up in these words where Jesus, when he does come, hears them cry out, Oh, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, I don't know you. You're not under my rope. You've somehow twisted that and turned that and made it into something that it's not. It's not about you. It's about me. It's about what I've done. It's about trusting solely in what I've done. There's not one shred of me if I I appear before Jesus Christ that wants to say, Well, God, you know, Thank you for covering me. Thank you for that. But I did some pretty good things. No, you did not. Everything that I do that has any semblance of good is birthed by the Spirit of God and is, is solely His work. Just an instrument, cracked pot, clay pot. Um, so that's the dogs. Along with the dogs are the sorcerers. Anyone know the Greek word for that, for sorcerers? I think someone's going to like this word. Ready for this one, Kurt? Pharmacoy. <laughs> Pharmacists. Oh my goodness gracious. What in the world? Well, actually there's a little truth to that because sorcery in this this period of time quite often what they relied upon were hallucinatory drugs. And uh, so they would get get you high and tell you we've got these spirits in the room. And so mediums and spiritualists quite often did relapse on drugs. These are not actually pharmacists. They're sorcerers, okay? <laughs> also those who are pornoy, the sexually immoral, the sexually immoral, okay? This is what disturbs me probably more than anything else. If you have a child or a grandchild um, who is in college, if you have a young person who's growing up in your home today, um, pornoi, pornography uh, is a issue. It'll be a part of their life. It'll be something you're going to have to, how will you battle it? Okay. So recently, there was a young man doing a study on his college campus, big college campus. And so he decided he was going to kind of look at, observe some of the effects of, of pornography up on the brain. So one of the questions that social scientists asks you know alcohol will what actually reform the chemical makeup of your your brain alcoholics are really when they're when they're dealing with becoming sober why do they say i can't i can't stop right i don't know if any of you watched this uh, 2020 piece this last week on elizabeth vargas but it's kind of interesting here she is this beautiful woman with a great job and a beautiful family what does she say i can't stop I love this moment in her interview where they asked her, you know, are you, are you writing this book now about your addiction because you're ready to write it? Or, or shouldn't you have waited a few more years? And she says, you know what, you're right. There's no guarantee that I won't go back. And there's a healthy fear inside of her, healthy fear. I'm scared to death because I don't want to go back there, but I know who I am. So social scientists, they're asking that question, Can our, does our brain chemistry, is it changed through the persistent observation of pornography? Well, this guy was doing a study on this college campus. He needed a sample group of people who had never seen pornography. There wasn't one. There were not enough human beings on this college campus this could step forward and say i've never seen it. Okay? So what we know is that you know we've got today a battle going on where our our young kids already you know in late grade school years early middle school years definitively by my high school years pornography is a part of your life. It's going to it's going to you're going to see it. Whether it's at somebody's house or somebody's got it on their phone, or hey, but it's coming. And so what he's saying is sexually immoral people. Our world is filled with it. He is saying we're going to take a human being and turn them into the object of worship and sex into the object of worship. And guess what? God says outside of the gates. Now am I saying that a person who views pornography is outside of the gates? No what I'm saying is that this is a battle that goes on every single day in our homes and in our lives. And when people we have people who ultimately just give themselves to that. And all this they give themselves to it. The more so to say I absolutely can't beat this thing I can't win this war I must be covered by Jesus Christ he's the only one who can win this war uh, inside of inside of me inside of our homes and so so what he's pointing to is the fact so a lot of times we'll we'll read these words we're like yeah the dogs are out there the sorcerers are out there those sexually immoral are out there the, those murderers are out there those idolaters are out there stop that's you We want to read it like Pharisees. I'm not a murderer. And Jesus said, I tell you, he who looks at his brother with hate in his heart is a murderer. Idolater. I'm not an idolater. Yeah. The only thing that separates us from these who are outside the gate is what? The rope. You're clothed by the Blood of Jesus Christ. We do not walk into church and say, Hey, I'm so glad I'm a Christian. I'm a lot better than everybody else. We walk into church and we say, Murder? That's me. Idolater? Pretty good at it. Immoral? Yeah. And we come before God and say, I can't beat that war inside of me. Only you can. And we give ourselves to Him, covered by His blood. The only one who overcomes is him by the way that's why alcoholics anonymous anonymous as an example what do they tell you you have to where's your starting place start here and you you don't go past this until you start where with an admission I cannot beat this and until you get there you're never getting free of it it'll own you and that's, that's really what we're pointing to here. Um, so what, what Jesus is saying is not all you bad people are out here. He's saying you who are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ are now outside of my fellowship. Okay. Probably the most important words in this section are in this next verse. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to martyreo, to martyr, to testify to you about these things, epi ekklesias, upon the churches. Your English Bibles will say, for the churches. Put it together. I, Jesus, sent my angel to give testimony to you about these things for the churches. Okay? Who is the revelation written for? The ecclesia. The church, those who are the ones that are called out. I happen to think that the proposition that's used here is important. It is epi, upon. What he's saying is, I put it in my own words, is I sent my angel, John, to give you this revelation to bring to those ones who are called out and to place it upon them as what? A calling. The book of Revelation is absolutely a call upon the church. To war and to, to sobriety in that war that recognizes that we're, we're battling not with flesh and blood with demons with powers that are way beyond our power we can't win this war unless we're down on our knees as a body of Christ in prayer saying dear God help us fight the battle for us go ahead of us um, I love the fact that the Jewish people have a rich sense of angelology, which kind of transferred over into the early apostolic church. When a revelation is being written, most pastors would believe and say, our called out group here has an angel. God has given us an angel. And um, while there's no verse in the Bible you can point to and say, yep, right here it says, Peace Lutheran Church has an angel. I love that thought that God would say, you know what, with, with one angel I can take down forces. And I'm going to go ahead and give old Peace Lutheran Church an angel. And I love to just think about that, that what does it mean to say this, that, that the, the angel, the messenger comes to John, gives him this message, places this calling upon the church, and to receive that calling as a body is to say we we must do battle where God has placed us right here in Grand Island with principalities and places of darkness that are owning people. They are owning people. They're owning them. And um, when I look at the city that we're living in and the way that God is moving ahead of us and opening up doors, I am absolutely convicted that this is a critical time in the life of this congregation. Critical time. Um, You know, I'll, I'll I'll close off with these words. You know, I mean, the funny side of it is Anne says, you'll never finish Revelation today. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's probably true. <laughs> I just don't like Bible studies. You know, I, I don't. I, I used to do them when I was young. I just stopped doing them because for me, a Bible study is you go to it and, you know, you get lesson one, lesson two, lesson three, and six weeks, we're done. Like, yeah. The Bible has so much in it. If you do it that way, you'll miss, you'll miss so much. So a long time ago, I said, I think I'm going to start taking Bible journeys. Let's journey together. Let's walk through it. So, sorry I'm not finishing today, but... I, but, but <laughs> But, but do take this seriously with me. Um, this is our congregation's um, 40th anniversary. I mean, this year. We'll do some celebration of that together. Um, but I think about 40 years. Some dark battles have been fought right here. I mean, you open up the pages of history in this church, and you've got murder, murder, I mean, you got church workers mur- murdering their wives. Adultery. You got it in this church. It's part of the history of this church. And then you got a God who says, I'm going to fight for this church. Keep it together. And I'm going I'm to bless this church with people who come together and say, we're going to go out and make a difference in Grand Island. And he's held this church together and strengthened it and turned it into what I think is a force to be used in this community. And I look ahead at the next forty years, and I think, mm, I don't know if forty years will make it before the half a time comes. But by God, it goes. It's a great day to look back, and then to look ahead, and to say, God, we're we're going to pray that you give us the strength to go out and fight the fight the battle. Let's pray, Lord God.